going chapter by chapter through the Bible, and we are on Psalm 21. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Bible, anyone? Okay, before we begin, let's pray. Lord, I think of Psalm 21 here, and it it speaks about having joy in your strength, having joy in your salvation. And Lord, I just pray for anyone here where who does not know that joy this evening. Speak to him, speak to her, Lord. I pray for him or her who has that joy. The joy would be even fuller, Lord, as we meet you here this evening. That's why we're here, Lord, to meet you, to experience you as a body, as a family. I pray that you guide us and lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Psalm 21, verse 1. The king, this is a psalm of David, the king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord, and in your salvation how greatly shall he rejoice. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. For you meet him with the blessings of goodness. You set a crown of pure gold upon his head. He asked life from you, and you gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. His glory is great in your salvation. Honor and majesty you have placed upon him. For you have made him most blessed forever. You have made him exceedingly glad with your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. And so here is truly a man who is delighting in the fruit of walking with the Lord for many, many years. Here is a man who is just enjoying the fruit of having come to a number of crossroads in his, in his life. And, and one of the crossroads was going one way to the right, and that was with the Lord. The other one was going uh, in another way with the Lord, and it, it just looked like it would be so painful and hard to, to keep on with the Lord, but he did anyway. And here he is enjoying the fruit of that. I was reading, I was reading uh, an article it's by Steve Gallagher, who's the editor of Pure Life uh, Ministries magazine. And it says this, somewhere along life's journey, I lost some luggage. If you happen across it, leave it be. I won't be needing it. There was a time when my sole purpose in life was to have everything I wanted. TV, movies, sports, sexual experiences, whatever. Not only that, but I also wanted everything to go my way. I wanted what I wanted when I wanted it, and if anyone stood in my way, I became irritated or even angry. Interestingly, the more I got what I desired, and the more things that went the way I wanted them to go, the more miserable, miserable I became. The more I gave the beast of self what it demanded, the greater it became within me. My life eventually came to the point where it was one black mass of self. There was no room for anyone else. Self demanded and received nearly everything it wanted. 
what I didn't realize was that self came with baggage where it was given rain, a Samsonite full of pride tagged along, compelling me to be seen as better than others. Rather than affording me the recognition I desired, people saw me for the selfish person I was. Then there was the American tourister packed full of, pe of fear and paranoia. Anything that could possibly harm self became seen as a dreaded enemy. A duffel bag full of sexual lust drove me into all kinds of trouble. Assorted other bags further added to the burden of my soul. You see, the great lie of sin is that it offers happiness and fulfillment. The truth, truth is, is that the more sin is indulged, the more misery follows in its wake. In some inexplicable way, sin enlarges the self-life. The greater the self-life, the more sin is desired. The whole thing is a cruel hoax concocted by the devil himself. This morning in my devotions I read, The sound of joyful shouting and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. And I thought, that describes my life now. Three verses later provided the explanation. The Lord has disciplined me severely. Now, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, so for a long time I didn't realize that when the Lord would ask me to give up things, TVs, movies, etc., or when He allowed affliction to come my way, He was actually killing the tyrant of self that had taken over my life, the very beast that had, uh, that had brought me to the verge of suicide at one point in my life was what the Lord was attempting to destroy. Of course, the enemy was always careful to foster the notion that the Lord was being unmerciful to me. The truth is, is that he was lovingly radiating the cancer that had nearly destroyed me. He wasn't looking to harm me, but to bring me into a place of life and joy. Yes, there is the sound of joyful shouting in my tent, and it's mostly because a good deal of self and its baggage has been lost along the way. And so I, as I was reading this psalm, Psalm 21, that the king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord, and in your salvation, how greatly shall he rejoice. And I just think about how we read about David and just how much affliction that he went through for 10 years living as a in the eyes of the people as a guilty man even though he was uh, innocent living in the open air being chased by King Saul who wanted to kill him going from one place of safety being ratted out there being chased by Saul and going to another, just living on the run in fear and just, it could have been just so easy for him to just give up and just go sort of live in the world and forget about um, the call of God that had been put on his life. But he went on with the Lord and he too got to the place where the sound of joyful shouting and salvation was in his tent, the tent of the righteous. And, and you know, it says in verse 2, you have given him his heart's desire. And, you know, ultimately, the beauty of walking with the Lord is he's going to replace your desires with his desires. He's going to replace his desires with your desires, with his desires. And it's just all about the desire of knowing the Lord. Paul says in Philippians 3, 8, yet, I, yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, 
I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, that I may know him and the power of resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And so Paul, too, just learned the joy of his salvation. But oh, uh, the road that the Apostle Paul had gone through to get to that place where there was truly rejoicing, rejoicing in his tent. And so letting go of self and allowing God to replace your desires, which is, as this article said, desires all about self, allowing God to change those desires and replace those desires uh, with him and his desires. Verse 8 says, your hand will find all your enemies. Your right hand will find those who hate you. You shall make them as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath and in the fire shall devour them. You know, there's a whole lot of enemies of God out there today. You just open up the newspaper and there are, is a group of people, which is really a growing percentage of the population, where they're all consuming life's passion is to destroy the church and everything the church stands for, the Word of God, to just minimize it and trivialize it and water it down. And, and um, you know, you see book, best-selling books um, advocating atheism, and you see uh, people just dedicated not only to taking... God out of the schools, but just taking him out of the marketplace completely. I mean, it used to be just in sort of public schools that it was inappropriate uh, to talk about God, but now it's inappropriate to talk about God even in the private sector. And there's people completely dedicated to that, but let me tell you, you have a choice. Either you can look at that, that, those things and you can get all depressed and overwhelmed about how strong the arm of the enemy seems, or you can just trust, like David did here in verse 8 and 9, that the Lord is going to have his way. The Lord is going to have his way with these people. It says, verse 8, your hand will find all your enemies. Your right hand will find those who hate you. It's as simple as that. You know, I was um, picking up my son Sam from... Christian camp this week, and he had a great time up there, and it was very strange. I, I, I was picked him up from Christian camp, and as I was driving back, I'm thinking, you know, with the secularization of America, and so many in this country uh, raising their kids completely without Christ, and we go out on the streets here and talk to people, uh, college kids about Christ. You actually meet uh, kids who've never been in church. So I started thinking, I, you know, Christian camps have been so much a part of America. I wonder if they're like camps that are like humanism camps and, and this type of thing. And I'm not exaggerating. I got home and um, I get this magazine every week called The Economist. And it had a banner at the very top of the magazine, and it said, Summer Camp for Atheists. No lie. I was like, wow. Um, but, you know, the, I can honestly say that while that stuff does discourage me, I don't fear in the slightest this type of thing. Because, really, what I read over and over in the Bible, verse 8, your hand will find all your enemies. It's discouraging to me because... You know, I, I'm just discouraged any time. And I would hope any righteous person is discouraged and angry any time uh, they, they see unrighteousness and corruption taking, uh, taking over. But there's no need to fear, and those are two different things. There's no need to fear. God's going to have his way. The entire record of the Bible uh, testifies to that. 
uh, verse 9, the, lo- the Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath, you know, as a history major um, in college and a, a student of history. You, there are many times of, in history, and there are these times even in the Bible where, where people like Elijah cry out to God and they say, it's just me. Everyone else is, every other person fallen the Lord has perished, and I'm the only one left. But God, what did God say to Elijah? No, I have reserved 7,000 who have not bowed down to Baal. And God always has his way. It, it, you know, there are Psalms, and we'll get to them, about the Israelites and how, they, they, how devastated they were when um, at the end of the kingdom of Israel, when the reign of kings uh, uh, ended there towards the end of uh, Second Chronicles, where they were wiped out, king of Babylon came in, completely destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. And there are these um, psalms about what the Israelites uh, thought, and it was, wow, this is, it's all lost. Everything is lost. All is lost. But God had his way, didn't he? And when Jesus, after he was crucified, when they, the disciples were so despondent, it's like, let's just go back to fish, fishing, you know? That's what they did at the end of uh, the book of John. But God had his way, didn't he? And so I love this verse. Your hand will find all your enemies. Your right hand will find those who hate you. And so the Lord will swallow them up in his, in his wrath. And, and we need to trust uh, in, in who God uh, says he is and that he will have his way. Verse 13 says, Be exalted, O Lord, in your own strength. We will sing and praise your power. Just love to uh, praise the Lord and, and just walk in the joy. The Bible says that the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. It's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And joy uh, is the fruit of of a life that has been willing to, uh, to, to bear the cross and walk with God. And truly, uh, David was among those people. Now, Psalms tw- uh, 22, 23, and 24 are really, really uh, fascinating psalms. They are uh, s- psalms about Jesus himself. These are messianic psalms. And Psalm, it has been said that um, Psalm 22 speaks of the death of Christ. We'll read about that. Psalm 23 speaks about the life of Christ. And Psalm 24 speaks about the coming of Christ. The coming King in Psalm 24. A psalm, it's been said, Psalm 22 speaks of the cross. Psalm 23 speaks of the crook, not like a thief, but the shepherd's crook or the, the, the staff, you know, the thing with the little hook on the end, uh, which the shepherd uses. And Psalm 24 speaks of the crown. And Jesus is referred as a shepherd in three different ways in the New Testament. John 10 He calls himself the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. Psalm 22 portrays them in that way, the shepherd who gave his life for the sheep. Hebrews 13 talks of Jesus as the great shepherd making us complete in every way, it says in Hebrews chapter 13, and Psalm 23 speaks of him in that way. 1 Peter speaks of Jesus as the chief shepherd who will return as king, who will come again in his second coming as king. First Peter 5, 4 says, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, he shall receive a crown of glory that you shall receive a crown of glory that shall not fade away. Psalm 24 speaks of Jesus as the chief shepherd who is going to come back uh, uh, again, the coming king. So Psalm 22 begins with a very familiar verse quoted by Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, 
why have you forsaken me? Now, this is a psalm of David, but during this psalm, uh, it is, he is moving in prophecy, meaning uh, he is speaking prophetically. He may be uh, speaking also of a current situation that he has uh, in his life or a current condition, but he is also, David was a prophet, and he was also speaking prophetically of what would happen in the future with the Messiah. And so um, if you have the New King James, that's why you have, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Me is capitalized. This is quoted by Jesus on the cross. And in quoting this verse on the cross, uh, you, uh, because um, this is, the beginning of Psalm 22, it, it, it teaches us, the fact that Jesus quoted this, the, a lot about the, why Jesus was in the tremendous agony that he was. Remember, in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, he was sweating drops of blood. That is an uh, uh, actual medical condition, hemotridosis, when a person is under severe agony, their capillaries burst, and their, their sweat becomes filled with blood. And so why is he in so much distress uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane? Well, we learn from Psalm 22 in part why. Notice here, Jesus is calling, um, Jesus here, of course this is quoted in, in Matthew 27 as well. Matthew 27 verse 46 is where Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the only place in the, in the New Testament where Jesus calls God, God, rather than Father. This is when he was on the cross. And why is that? Because there was, for the first time ever, there was a separation from the Father. In a way that we don't completely understand, the Son was separated from the Father in such a way he's... He's not, he's not able to cry out Father anymore because it's, it's like where the Father is, is not there anymore. And he's like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's been separated. The reason? Sin causes separation. Sin causes separation. Isaiah 59 verse 1 says, uh, my ear... With God speaking here, my ear is not heavy that it cannot hear, but your sins have separated you from me. Your sins have hidden my face from you. Sin causes separation. And so Jesus on the cross with that feeling of separation, and Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood, knows that's coming. He wasn't dying. He wasn't sweating drops of blood because he was, knew he was going to be in a lot of physical pain. There's may, been many martyrs throughout history who went right into uh, their death, whether it was being burned alive or whatever, completely serene. They weren't sweating drops of blood, but they weren't being separated from their father for the first time in all humanity. They weren't having the wrath of God uh, coming upon them. And, and most they were looking forward to death as a time where absent from the body they would be present with the Lord. Whereas Jesus, the opposite was the case. Where he was, um, his death or his suffering on the cross was going to mean a, a separation uh, from, from uh, God. So um, Jesus uh, uh, cried out, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, really interesting, there used to be a rabbinic tradition, a rabbi's tradition. Remember, rabbi is basically synonymous with the word teacher. And in one of the ways they used to teach their student is they would quote the first v- verse of a chapter and it was expected that their students would go home and learn and study the rest of the chapter. And so some believe that among, you know, in addition to the fact that Jesus uh, crying out in Matthew, uh, that that he was crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was doing that because of just expressing the emotional shock of being separated for the first time in all eternity from his father. He was also instructing us 
to go home and study this psalm because this psalm is all about the cross or a lot of it is about the cross. And so some believe that. It's an a interesting, a interesting uh, uh, interpretation of this. Um, and so it says, why are you uh, so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season, and am not silent. And so in the, from that Jesus was put on the cross at about nine o'clock in the morning, from noon to three, it, uh, it was completely dark. He was in a night season. And so uh, here it is describing a thousand years before the fact uh, that um, Jesus would be crying out in the daytime. He'd also be crying out in a night season, total darkness uh, on the cross uh, when he was there. And so in verse 3 it says, But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you, they trusted it and, uh, in you, and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. And so, very important that when Jesus was on the cross, despite the fact he's going through this tremendous pain and agony and crucifixion, he never denies the holiness of God, he never forsakes the Father. He never um, starts shaking his fist at the Father. No, it was, the, the attitude was, look, you know, not my will, but your will. In other words, he was willing to conform himself to the will of God, even though it meant tremendous, tremendous suffering. Um, and I was uh, reading this week that wonderful, wonderful verse from the book, uh, in the book of Exodus where Moses is in the wilderness and the Israel is rebelling and God says to Moses, he says, look, you and the children of Israel, you go up into the promised land. I'll send my angel with you, but I'm, sta- I'm staying here. In other words, you guys are in rebellion. You go off and do your own thing. I'll send an angel before you. He'll help you out. And I'm telling you, one of the most powerful statements of faith in the whole Bible. Moses says, what does he say? He says, if you don't go up with us, I'm not going. And I'm telling you, when you reach that place in your life, you have made it with the Lord. You, you have come to an understanding of the Lord that people long to have you have come to an understanding of the lord where someday you will be shouting out like the psalmist in psalm 21 uh, oh lord i have joy in your strength and joy in your salvation so moses said look if you don't come up to us to the promised land i'm not going up with some angel either i'm i'd rather be here with you in the wilderness and all this misery with the manna and the you know the scorpions and everything else i'd rather have you here with me and so he was affirming what was he doing he was just like the psalmist here in psalm 22 he was affirming the faithfulness of god the beauty of god and the fact that god is 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 better he's greater he's good and even when uh, we're in a wilderness season of our life we need to and even if we're on the cross being crucified in our own way going through just terrible uh, trials uh, we need to not forsake god and who he is and start shaking our fist we need to affirm his character Verse 3 again, it says, but you are holy. In other words, I may be, I'm on the cross, but I'm going to affirm you are holy. So important that you worship the Lord when you're in that season of affliction in your, uh, in your life. And you may be there tonight that you just cry out to God, 
Lord, I know I'm going through this awful thing, but you are holy. Verse 6, but I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. So Jesus uh, left his home in heaven and Philippians chapter 2 says he humbled himself and took the form of a man, but he went further. He became a worm. In other words, someone, not only a man, but a despised man. A despised man. He says, verse 6, but I am a worm and no man. Now that word for worm, very interesting word. We were, did a word study this uh, a few months ago. It's the uh, Hebrew word toleth. This word toleth is translated in two ways. One, it's translated as worm. The other way, it's translated as, someone remember? Scarlet. Very good. Um, exact same word in Isaiah 118. Though your sins are as scarlet. Same word as this word worm. <laughs> right here that we're reading here in verse 6. Your sins are as scarlet. They sh- though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Now, why would that be? Because the worm, the kind of worm that is used right here, uh, the, the word for the worm that was used right here in verse 6 was the worm that they used to make scarlet dye out of. And you can see the same word is used uh, back in the first five books of the uh, Old Testament where it talks about the different colors of like the priest garments and things like that. When it was scarlet, same word. What's the color of that robe? Oh, it's the worm color, you know. It's the scarlet color. It used to grind them up and make scarlet. And now the interesting thing, uh, and this is, you know, who knows, what, who knows what to really make of this? But there, it is interesting that in the act of bearing young, when they give birth, the, the worms, where they climb up, up on a tree and they die right up there on the tree. And while giving birth, in the process of birth, they die. And what, what happens? They leave a little red spot right on the bark on the side of the tree pretty amazing, particularly since this whole psalm, Psalm 22, is about, of course, uh, a messianic psalm all about Jesus on the cross, on the tree. Jesus speaking here, I am a worm. You know, I die, I, I die that I might give birth to a whole new family. And so, uh, pretty heavy there. Verse 7, all those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. And of course, we know that when Jesus was on the cross, Matthew uh, chapter 27, it says in verse 39, those who passed by blasphemed him wagging their heads and saying, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, uh, save yourself if you're the Son of God. Come down from the cross. And he saved others himself he cannot save. If he is the King of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and then we will believe in God. He trusted in God. Let God deliver him now. And so, uh, just a continuation here of exactly uh, what happened on the cross. And um, so in verse 9 it says, But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. You know, it is so true that God begins a work in you uh, from the time of conception. He starts doing a work in your life and drawing uh, you to Him when you, whenever you came to the Lord, whether it was when you were 
3 or 12 or 28 or 40, it was because God became, uh, started working in your life as a very young child. And so, um, this is Jesus here speaking. You, you made me trust while I was on my mother's breast. So there is the question sometimes, well, when did Jesus become aware that he was the Son of God? When did that happen? And so some would take this literally, that when he was on his mother's breast, that somehow uh, he, he de- was de- developing an awareness of that uh, by the Holy Spirit. We know that when he was 12 years old, he knew by then, because remember his parents had taken him into Jerusalem, they had left uh, unknowingly without him, when they went back and they said, well, what are you doing, how could you do this uh, to us? And he said, did you not know I had to be in my, about my father's business? And so, uh, anyway, we do know uh, babies uh, have a tremendous sensitivity and understanding you ladies who are pregnant or will uh, plan to be pregnant I strongly encourage you to pray and read uh, to your child even as he or she is in your womb I strongly strongly encourage that remember John the Baptist leapt uh, in his mother's womb when uh, Mary came in with Jesus in her womb so Uh, verse 12, more insight into what happened to Jesus on the cross. This is a really fascinating verse. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. Now, the bulls of Bashan were worshipped by Canaanites. Bulls have been worshipped by uh, pagan religions for thousands of years. They were these bulls of Bashan were worshipped by the Canaanites. They were demonic entities. Remember, Apostle Paul says, behind every idol, there's a demon, demonic worship. And so um, we get insight here that when Jesus was on the cross, it was not only the wrath of the rabbis and the chief priests. It was not only the Roman soldiers who were uh, mocking him, but there were demonic entities. Demonic entities. The, it says strong bulls of Bashan encircled him, gaping at him like a raging and roaring lion. We know that that is... A, a, one of the types used for Satan, a raging lion, First, uh, first Peter. Satan prowls about like a roaring lion. So how little we appreciate what really happened on the cross. Could be that every demon in hell was around the cross that day. They gave everyone else a day off because they were at the cross tormenting the Son of God. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. So when we see the Lamb slain in heaven, when we get to heaven, we will, I'm sure, have a much greater understanding there and we will just worship Him for that. And um, But if you're dry today, if you're dry this evening, I just pray that um, you will get a greater understanding of what Jesus did for you on the cross. He purchased your salvation with bulls of Bashan, cursing and taunting him. Verse 14, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. Now we know that when a person is crucified, the fatigue factor sets in and the person actually experiences dislocation uh, in their shoulders and hips, perhaps among many other joints. It's something that happens. If you've ever had a dislocated shoulder, uh, I am told it, just an enormous 
amount of pain associated with that. But because of the dislocation of the joints and the shoulders that, that, during a crucifixion, the way a crucified person stayed alive was by standing up on the nail. In other words, their nail would be, their feet would be, uh, they would have a nail uh, through them. But their body, because it was all dislocated, would be sagged down to the point where they could not breathe unless they, unless they lifted themselves up so their lungs could, could fill up with air. And there was this, this continual process of moving up, getting breath, and going down by those who were being crucified. And interesting here that it says, uh, I am poured out like water when the soldier... Uh, uh, when the soldier pierced Jesus in the side, uh, water poured out, uh, water and blood. But it says here that my heart is like wax. It has melted within me. And those ha- who's ha- who have studied the crucifixion um, and, 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 you know, in terms of what Jesus really died of medically, uh, it is true that he... Uh, he actually made a decision to 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 die since he gave up his spirit but he but his um, really what had happened is his heart he literally died of a broken heart his heart had burst and this can happen and that's and that, and that is why when they, he was you know in the side uh, when they pierced him the, the blood in the water uh, came out the water accumulating in the area because of what was going on my strength is dried up like a pot's herd. My tongue clings to my jaws. We know that's exactly on the, what happened to Jesus on the cross. He was uh, uh, thirsty. He cried out. He, 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 he said, I'm thirsty. And that's why they, they, a couple times they brought him a sponge with vinegar uh, in it. My, well, end of verse 15, you have brought me to the uh, to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and feet. And so, a thousand years before crucifixion was practiced in Israel, uh, 750 years before it was practiced anywhere or even invented, here you have a description uh, of crucifixion. They pierced my hands and feet. Verse 17, I can count all my bones. Now this is also a, an important prophetic word here because uh, as I said before, the way that people uh, stayed alive uh, as they were being crucified was they would push themselves up and down in order to breathe. So what they did to hasten the death of those crucified, they would come by and break their legs. Um, And then as soon as they broke their legs, they couldn't push up. They would die really within minutes. And remember, in the end of the book of John, the the chief priest didn't want the uh, dead bodies on a cross during the Sabbath. So... uh, they requested that that uh, the death be expedited. The Roman soldiers uh, went to the two thieves, broke their legs, uh, and uh, because they were not dead yet. But then they went to Jesus and saw that he was already dead. So they didn't break his legs, fulfilling this prophecy here that uh, he can count all his bones, and he was. Uh, the, the, the Roman soldier pierced him instead. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. Remember the Roman soldiers under the cross uh, uh, were casting lots for Jesus' clothing. This is what it says here in verse 18. And for my clothing, they cast lots. But you, O Lord... Do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild 
oxen. And so uh, Jesus still on the cross, trusting in the Lord, feeling forsaken, but knowing the word of God. And so how often we just cannot go by our feelings. Our feelings, uh, you know, they, they come and go in terms of what we're, whether we're feeling supported by the Lord. And that's why we need to trust in the promises of God. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. Verse 19, oh my strength, hasten to help me. And so in verse 22, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. And you descendants of Jacob, uh, glorify him and fear him, all you offspring of Israel. Now verse 22 where it says, I will declare your name to my brethren. Uh, Some believe this is a... uh, when Jesus, remember it says in Ephesians that um, before he ascended into heaven, he went down into the depths uh, and preached to the people there. Uh, Peter says that he descended and preached to the, to, to, to the spirits. Now remember, uh, before uh, the, the resurrection, we see in the, uh, where Jesus tells the story of Lazarus and the rich man, when, when a person died, whether they were a child of God or whether they were not a child of God, they went into Hades, not Gehenna, which is the lake of fire, but Hades, which is like the resting place of the dead. And there were two separate compartments in this resting place. One was paradise, and the other was a place of torment. And if you remember when Jesus talks about Lazarus and the rich man, the rich man's in torment, and he is able to speak, and he's able to see and listen to uh, Abraham. And so uh, it is believed uh, that um, when after Jesus died, he went into this place And in fulfillment um, of this verse here, I will declare your name to my brethren. He spoke to the the people who had died, the men and women who were died, who were resting, who were living in paradise, but actually everyone could hear him, whether they had lived as a child of God or not. And then it says in Ephesians, and then when he ascended into heaven, he led captivity captive. In other words, those who had been captive, he led them uh, back to heaven. And so some believe that this verse 22 is a fulfillment of that. And so uh, verses 25 through 31 are similar to ver- uh, Psalm 21. It is no longer um, sort of someone agonizing and, 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 and sobbing, and uh, sobbing is a bad word, but sort of agonizing and pleading and crying out to God. No, it is a song of praise. My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. And, and at the end, verse 27, at the end of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nation shall worship before you for the kingdom of, uh, is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. And so this is just speaking of the victory that followed uh, sort of the, the resurrection. And so Psalm 22, uh, amazing psalm, it ends verse 31, they will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born. And who might that be? That's us. Uh, we're the beneficiaries of those who uh, first uh, uh, were witnesses to or heard about the resurrection, and they passed it on to us. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be de- born, that that he has done this, meaning uh, he's raised Jesus from the dead, and um, 
and uh, Jesus was ascended into heaven. And so that's Psalm 22, famous psalm quoted uh, in the New Testament. Psalm 23, perhaps the most famous psalm, you know, looking at this psalm, and it's amazing, you know, it was six verses, and this is a psalm, another one of these verses in the Bible that literally quoted and read hundreds of millions of times throughout history, and it's just a very simple psalm of six verses, and um, it's just dealing with here Psalm 22 was the sheep, um, I mean the shepherd who died for us, um, and here in Psalm 23 it's the shepherd who ever lives for us. To uh, but the Bible says that Jesus will complete that which concerns us. It says, "The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want." And by that it means I will not have a want. I'll be totally satisfied. I will not lack. God's not going to leave me wanting stuff. I won't be, you know, wanting to be uh, in some uh, kind of career to make me powerful and rich someday. I won't be wanting and desiring things as we read in that, uh, uh, that piece at the beginning of the message. Uh, wanting and desiring things which are, are just vain and are only going to bring us misery. No, I shall not be in want. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd and he satisfies all my want. And so uh, the Lord knew what he was doing when he made Jesus the shepherd and us the sheep. Sheep, as you may know, are amongst the dumbest uh, animals on the face of the earth. And I've talked about this before. Um, Sheep will literally follow one another, hundreds of them, uh, right off of a cliff. And I remember reading that story, I think 1,500 sheep one time just followed each other in a single line off a cliff. There's this gigantic mountain of sheep, and the only reason they quit dying is because there was this mound of sheep. So after a while, it was like falling on a trampoline, you know. Uh, and, And that's how dumb sheep are. That's how dumb we can be. They are helpless. They are helpless in the uh, face of predators. I even heard this crazy story that, uh, about a squirrel killing a sheep. Now, I, 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 I don't know about that one. I mean, that sounds kind of crazy. It's one mean squirrel. Some squirrels are pretty mean, huh? You know, but uh, um, they are helpless when it comes to defending themselves against predators. They get outside of the area uh, of, their, of their shepherd, and they're dead sheep if there's a predator um, around. So as we read this psalm, how many of you read this? And you can say in your heart, yes, the Lord is my shepherd. Not a shepherd, but my shepherd. Man, does the Lord want to bring you to that place where you read this and you just really do believe the Lord is my shepherd. And I shall not be in want. Psalm 84, 11 says, No good thing shall he withhold from them that loves him. And you may say, well, I lack this and I lack that and what about this and what about that? Well, God hasn't given to you because for reasons that you don't understand, that I don't understand, it's not good for me or you at this point in time. You know, if he gave you that, I don't know, that, Harley Davidson, that would not be a good thing for you. Or if he gave you that man right now in your life, you single women, or that woman, you single man, is for whatever reason, that's not a good thing for you right now. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Because if it was a good thing for you right now, 
God would give it to you because no good thing does he withhold. Psalm 84, verse 11, from them that love him. Verse 2, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. The only time a sheep will lie down is if he is free from fear and he's free from hunger. And so Jesus frees us from fear and he frees us from hunger and allows us to lie down. He protects us and he feeds us. He takes away the fear. He takes away the hunger and he makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides still waters. He restores my soul. So who is the restorer of men's souls? It's Jesus. Now people's souls are so hurting. There is so much hurt out there. I'm sure, I'm sure right there here this evening, there's a certain level of hurt. Who restores it? Jesus. The biggest need of the church today is for men and women to go into the altar and weep and just be broken before God. Not some seminar, not a therapist, not a counselor, but Jesus. You know, it's like the woman who for 12 years went to different doctors and finally she was healed by Jesus, spent all her money on doctors, but it was the Lord. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, one of the interesting aspects of sheep is they, they fall into a rut with their paths. In other words... They only want to know what they know, and they don't want to go anywhere outside of what they know. So they just, you know, they'll stay on the same path, and if you've ever been on sort of dirt trails, ruts start to develop. If you start going on the same part on, that, uh, on a dirt road, a rut will develop like right in the middle or wherever, and that's how sheep are. They, they, they get into the rut, and they're, sometimes they're, and if you know sheep, they, they, once the grass is destroyed, they just go after the roots. They need to be led to a green pasture by their shepherd. In other words, they can be in this dirt patch with a bunch of roots. There can be a green pasture right over there, but they will just stay in their rut going after those roots when there's this rich grass uh, in uh, this other place. And, and it says here, um, again, he leads us in the paths of righteousness. He leads us to green pastures. And man, if there's anything I, I, I have a heart for, it's just, and I also fear for, it's Christians that just get into the same rut. We like our routine and we just stay in it. But the problem is, is that it, it goes from like this dirt road to a rut, and pretty soon we're deep in a rut. There's a green pasture over here that the Lord wants us uh, in, but oh man, no, we, we're going to stay in this rut, and our faith gets cobwebs all over it, and our faith starts to stagnate, and that's when the trouble really begins to come, because you start looking for that short-term pleasure. You start to, 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 to go after that. And, you know, just this week heard about a friend of mine who I, I, I met him a couple of years ago. Just in, you could just tell there was just cobwebs all over his faith. I mean, he was a man who used to walk with the Lord. And I, I just felt, uh, heard this week that um, he's been unfaithful to his wife. And I just... I just look back to where I, I ran into the guy a couple of years ago and he, he was just in this rut and there was these cobwebs all over him and it was just really discouraging talking to this guy. It's a dangerous place to be in. 
the Christian rut where your faith has become like a real a religion. You know, you show up to church, you sort of uh, try to go through routine every once in a while about uh, opening your Bible, but but you're just you're just going through a routine. And what I have found in my life is there's always green pasture that the Lord wants us in. The question is, am I go, you know, am I going to fear and just stay in my comfort zone, or am I going to allow my shepherd to lead me into green pasture to lead me on the paths of righteousness? Why does it say verse three? For his name's sake. We get the blessing out of it, but at the end of the day, it's because something he wants to do in the world. For his name's sake is why he leads us in the path of righteousness. Verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So to get through new pastures, sometimes shepherds take us, we're led by our shepherd through dangerous ravines through different things in life. And notice how he, he uh, goes through the valley, but he doesn't stay in the valley. He leaves the valley. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no either evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. At when we were in the closing time at picking, a, we went to up to pick Sam at um, Christian Camp, as I had said, and they had this little bunch of little videos of the great stuff that had happened uh, in the kids' lives during the week. And there was this uh, young girl there who was giving her testimony, and she just made the uh, very simple statement that uh, God doesn't remove us from. Our enemy uh, from this the storm, uh, he is the uh, the peace in the storm, and, and that is the truth. It says in verse five, "You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies." So it's not he's not going to like take us away from all our enemies, but he'll prepare a table before us. He'll bless us right in the midst of them, right in the midst of them. Now I skipped over. It says. Again, uh, for, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It says, now the rod was used for protection to beat off wolves or whatever. Sometimes it was used for correction. And I am told that from time to time, if there was a sheep that habitually uh, wanders away, a shepherd would actually break the leg of the sheep. Just across the, the shin, he'd take the rod and he'd break the leg and then he would reset it and he would place the sheep, for, have to carry the sheep around for several weeks while the leg was mending and an interesting phenomena took place during that time period uh, by the end of the time the sheep was so attached to him that the sheep would not leave him after the leg was mended and that's what the Lord does with us the rod of correction praise God that he breaks our legs and and brings us into these seasons where we learn how to trust in him you know if if, if you have a few broken legs right now don't shake your fist at God this is a good thing this is meant to be a good thing. It's meant to be a time where you, 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 you're trusting in him in a, in a deeper way. I just think of the guys in the church and the women who have, have lost their jobs. It's, you know, I keep on, you know, we're praying for the jobs to come in, but there's a greater thing that the Lord wants to do in your lives, and that is to have this be, you're, you're developing a history, a testimony with the Lord. Well, you, 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 that once you get on the other side, you'll be like the psalmist in Psalm 21. I just rejoice in your salvation. And you're just closer to the Lord. Closer. You'll be, you, know, you won't be wandering away or maybe wandering away uh, uh, as much. You'll be sticking closer uh, to 
him. And so, finally it says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. The shepherd had a horn of oil. If there were insects, fleas, and mites on the heads of the, uh, of the sheep, he would pour, pour oil on them. Oil is symbolic in the uh, Bible as the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, you know, the little irritations in life, the people who drive us nuts, the just, uh, or whatever, stoplights, whatever it is that irritates you, uh, what we need is the oil of the Holy Spirit, and God promises uh, to give us that. Verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Verse 6 says, surely goodness and mercy. It doesn't say surely wrath and judgment. It says surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. And so again, this is something to remember when you're in the valley. That there's goodness and mercy ahead. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so this is a man who's whose desires of self had been replaced by the desires of God. And what's the desire that the Lord wants to put in you? Just to dwell in, in his house forever with him. And so if you haven't put this psalm to memory, please do. It's a psalm that you can... Uh, it, I have found this is maybe the best psalm, if not the best verses in the whole Bible which you can use as just a platform for, for, for prayer. In other words, as you're reciting this psalm in your heart, in your mind, or vo- vocally, the Lord is my shepherd. Just use that as a platform for prayer. In other words, the Lord is my shepherd. Lord, thank you for being my shepherd. Thank you for, um, you know, taking your rod of correction on me. Thank you for your faithfulness over my uh, whole life. I shall not be in want. Surely, Lord, that's true. I am not in want. You're everything that I, I need. I thank you for that. And just as you recite this psalm, just a wonderful psalm, wherever you are, just to use as a platform for prayer. Every single verse is wonderful for that purpose. Okay. Why don't we... Uh, Why don't we close in prayer? Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for just the things that we've we've read about this evening, Lord, where you're so faithful, Lord, to bring us to the place, Lord, where we can actually enjoy a table prepared by you for us in the presence of our enemies, in the valley of the shadow of death. We can enjoy it. And Lord, I pray that you bring us all there. We're not there yet, Lord God. Some are nearer uh, than others. But all of us, Lord, we need you to take us to that place. It's such a place of joy. And we've had a taste of it. We want much more, Lord. We thank you that you have promised that, that you will complete that which concerns us, that that's a promise. You've promised us that. And I just uh, thank you, Lord, that, and we just say with, with David, Lord, be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. And we will sing and praise your power. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so... We'll be returning.